The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. You'll take your Bibles now. We will open them to the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 6. And I'd like to read these scriptures beginning with verse number 10. This is at the end of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. And these are the last words he gives them, and they are about fighting and battles and our enemy. Our point of emphasis in today's message is verse number 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So beginning in verse number 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked." And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Our subject, again, is Christian warfare. And this is part of the cosmic battle between good and evil that is fought on the world stage. This is the lifelong battle of God's people against Satan and the powers of darkness. And it's a battle that is against an enemy that's too powerful for us. It's a war that we have no power to win unless we have super capabilities that come from an external source. Now, as a struggling Christian, you might not think of yourself as Superman or Superwoman. You may be depressed and unsure and often you feel defeated. And certainly in these times, we we do find our strength waning. Uh, It's harder and harder every week for us to hold on. And for many of you, you don't feel that there's anything super about your abilities at all. Weakness is your constant companion, and you may be wobbly and spiritually dizzy and unsure, and you're not standing the way that you want to stand. And and we have taken many blows in this last year. No church services, a country that seems to be gone mad with sin, Christians even that take anti-God positions. We're punch drunk like a fighter that's been hit too many times in the head and we're about to fall over. We are about to fall on our faces. Well, you may feel that way, but the truth is that as a believer, you have the power to fight these forces of darkness. You have divine protection that will enable you to stand against all the attacks of Satan. Now, in this passage of Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul describes the method and the power by which we stand. This is what he calls the armor of God. 
It is the protection that's afforded the Christian by graces that are characteristic of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are virtues that are found in him and they are supplied for the well-being of his people. Now, the reason that any Christian fails is not because there is no means and not because there is no power. The power is there, but the method of repelling Satan's attacks must be put into place. Now, God supplies the power. He supplies all the need, all the power that we need, even more than we need. But power alone is not enough. We, we must be watchful, as the scriptures say. We must be ready for the attack because a powerful man that is asleep is vulnerable. Now, I think of the story of David hiding in the wilderness because Saul was after him to take his life. Now, Saul was a strong man. Saul was a big man, a powerful man, and he even had the, the armies of Israel on his side. But you remember that God caused a deep sleep to fall on Saul and on his army. And then David sneaked into the camp and stole a cruise of water that Saul drank from and took his spear that Saul had stuck in the ground near his head as he slept. Well, Saul was unaware. He was vulnerable because he was asleep. And so David could have taken his life. So a strong man is not strong when he sleeps. And the Bible warns us as God's people that spiritually we can't sleep. Now is not our time to sleep. It's a time for us to be vigilant. It's a time to be prepared and to be awake and ready to go out and fight. Now, we saw this aspect of preparedness in the first part of the Christian armor. In verse number 14, we're told to gird our loins with truth. That is to be prepared with truthfulness and and faithfulness to have commitment to the cause. It's to be sincere to our duty. It's to be honest, not hypocritical. The object of this is to stand. Now, how do we stand against attacks? Well, I want you to notice we go further into the subject. How many times that Paul speaks of standing? Verse 11, it's stand against the wiles of the devil. In verse 13, withstand in the evil day. Again, in verse 13, having done all to stand. And in verse 14, stand, therefore. Well, standing then seems to be the key. And that helps us to understand the reason for verse 15, where Paul speaks of the feet of the Christian. What do we stand on? Well, we stand on our feet. So our feet must also be prepared. Now, As we read the passage, there is the imagery of a Roman soldier in the background Uh, the armies of Rome were the most powerful the world had seen. Uh, You think of powers that came before them, like the dynasty of the Egyptians and the cruelty and the fierceness of the Assyrians and the wealth and the power of the Babylonians, the strength of the Persians, the craftiness of Alexander the Great and the Greeks. None of those was as powerful as the Roman army. And here we're speaking of the of, of the most well-honed, battle-tested, best-equipped fighting force that had appeared. Every other army fell before them. Rome conquered the world and they controlled more of the world than any of these other empires controlled at any time. In fact, we believe it is the revived Roman Empire that will be the government of the Antichrist in the days of tribulation. And he will control and encompass the entire globe with this government of revived empire. We think then 
of the Roman soldier. We've, we've, we've seen the pictures. The soldier, the centurion, perhaps with his helmet, with a, a plume, a feather that, that's on his head that comes out of that, uh, that uh, helmet. Uh, he wore a breastplate. He carried a shield. He had a sword in his hand. And he was fully protected and covered against attacks. Now, we look over his attire and we barely notice one of the most important pieces of his armor. We don't think about his feet. We don't think about how important it is to have the proper footgear. Now, by comparison, we don't really think of, a, of what a soldier wears on his feet as a very important part of, of his armor, of his uniform. But we look again here and we see that the key emphasis of the passage is standing. And you don't stand unless your feet hold you up. Now, last week we were talking about the breastplate. Next week, the subject is the shield of faith. Those two things, the breastplate and the shield, well, we would all agree those are critical because of the area they protect. Now, I'll not get into the shield today because I don't want to spoil that information for a future sermon. But let's think again about what we said concerning the breastplate from last week. And what was it we said? Well, we said the breastplate covered the soldier. It extended from the base of the neck down to the lower parts of the body, down to the thighs. It covered his vital organs. Beneath that breastplate is the heart and the lungs and the liver. And then below that, there's the stomach, the intestines and the bowels. Now, remember this point of emphasis that I gave you about how the bowels were emblematic of the emotions and the feelings and the heart in ancient thought, that was the same as the mind. Well, when the New Testament speaks of the heart of man, it means his mind, it means his, his intellect. And so they were very careful to cover these parts of the body. These are vital areas that must be protected because if one of these is hit, the life is sapped out of that soldier. Now, you can't live with a punctured heart. We know that. Now, likewise... My wife and I know how important the liver is. Uh, I'll confess to you that I never thought much about the liver until she became very sick. But we've learned that the liver is essential to nearly every bodily function. And then the intestines, we know that they're critical too. Don't often think about those. In Acts chapter 1, Luke records how that Judas fell from the rope that he used to hang himself. And it says he fell to the rocks below and his bowels gushed out we understand that we understand the importance of protecting those parts we understand about protecting the head and all again of those vital organs that are in the torso and so we agree it's logical to protect those in a fight but what happens if a soldier can't get to the battlefield to fight what happens if he can't get there because he has of all things sore feet a few weeks ago, uh, Dak Prescott, who is the Dallas Cowboys quarterback, was injured. He had a compound fracture of his ankle. Now, he is a big man. He is a strong man, but he won't play. He won't get on the football field because he can't stand on his feet. And when Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand, we just need to stop and consider on what does the soldier stand and if his feet are in good shape, he won't stand. He won't fight because he's not able to get to the battlefield. 
And perhaps this is what's wrong with many Christians, that, that spiritually speaking, we don't have anything solid under our feet. And, and Christians haven't taken uh, care to be sure that the feet are in good shape. You know, I, I hate to continue to use my wife as an example, but I have learned many things through her illness. I see how comparisons can be made. A few weeks ago, she fractured her foot. And with all the other things that she has going on, she had that problem. She can't walk very well because her foot hurts. And so she can barely take a step and and she can't get around. And that's debilitating. Well, she has trouble breathing because there's fluid around her lungs that compresses her lungs and they can't expand. That makes it difficult for her to walk only more than just a few feet without stopping to catch her breath. Well, we would all agree that her feet, the problem, the fracture of the foot, that is not as critical to life as her lungs and her liver. But that fracture in her foot stops her from walking just as surely as the shortness of breath that comes from her liver disease. You see, the feet are important. And even if your feet are in good shape, you must be careful to wear the right shoes. Uh, I'd like to to hike up Taylor Mountain and in Annadale, I don't dare wear my regular shoes for hiking. I've tried that a few times, but I came back with sore feet. I came back with twisted ankles. My feet would slip on the rocks and my knees would twist. And so it was important that I wear the right shoes. And likewise, a soldier needs the right shoes. Now, this is what Paul is saying then. Make sure that you don't forget about your feet. If you are to stand, your feet must be prepared and be in a solid place. Now, as a child of God, we don't stand in slippery places. If you listen to what the psalmist says, Uh, I I think it might even be good for you to turn to Psalm 18 just to see this and read what David had to say about his feet. Uh, And I suppose that David had more to say about fighting his enemies and conquering them than any other author. We can read this in Psalm 18. Now, you may want to read the whole psalm at a later time. But for now, just looking at verse number 32 and down through verse number 39, David wrote, It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon high places. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy right hand hath holden me up and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them, neither did I turn again until they were consumed. I have wounded them, that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet, for thou hast girded me with strength under the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Now David said, my feet are like Hind's feet. Now he's speaking of a deer, maybe of a mountain goat. You ever watched a, a mountain goat go up a steep place? I saw some of these in the Canadian Rockies uh, go up almost a, a cliff that was almost straight up and yet never missed a step. Just, just the other day, I saw a picture of a mountain goat that was scaling a dam. I don't know how they can do that except they have feet that are made for it. 
Now, David said in this passage that God enlarged his steps under him so that his feet did not slip. Now, this is like he had a very small place to stand on, just a small stepping stone. But to him, that was like a wide sidewalk when he depended on the Lord. His feet were sure because God guided each step. Now, you contrast that to the unsaved. You go on reading in the Psalms and you'll get to Psalm 73. There it says that God set that unsaved man, that one who doesn't know him, he set his feet in slippery places. And so he says they will fall, they will fail, they will go into destruction. Well, that gives you a little bit of introduction. But now we need to apply this verse and find out what Paul means by feet that are prepared. Now, let me start by discussing the place where we stand. First, we'll look at the foundation of faith. That's our first point, the foundation of faith. Now, if you're going to stand, you need to be sure that your feet are on solid ground. Where are you going to put your feet? Well, if you're not standing in that sure place that we've mentioned, if your footing is not solid and you're on slippery ground, then you are sure to fall. Now, every Christian then must be sure of his faith. Now, we will also get into faith next week. And I want to prepare us for that by looking at what is beneath our feet. Beneath our feet is our foundation. And the foundation of the Christian life is faith. Now, we'll elaborate more next time. Now, we know what the scriptures say about a sure foundation. Jesus told the story of the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And there was a uh, that that's the the man who built his his house at a place that's not sure. And then he talked about the wise man that built his house on the rock. And he said, when the winds blew and when when the rains came, that the house on the sand fell because it didn't have a solid foundation. But that other house, the one that was built on the rock, stood firm because it was built in the sure place. And the storms, when they came, they beat violently against that house. But the house didn't move. Now, those storms is just another way of indicating spiritual warfare. How can we withstand the storms? Well, Isaiah spoke of a sure foundation in chapter 28. Uh, We Read the counterpart to this in Romans 10 just a few minutes ago. In Isaiah 28, verse 16, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Now, in that passage of Romans 10, Romans 10, Paul talked about faith. The just shall live by faith. And Peter then used this scripture to show that Jesus is the sure foundation of our faith. Our faith is only as good as what we have faith in. Jesus is the object of our faith, and he is the strong foundation. He's the rock that can't be moved. And when our feet stand on him, we don't slip. We stand in the sure place, and we're able to brace ourselves and balance ourselves against Satan's attacks. Now, let me point out a couple of aspects of this sure foundation that keeps us from slipping. The first would be that faith, faith is the base of operations. It is the base of operations. Now, every army has a command center from which field maneuvers are directed. The army doesn't approach the battlefield haphazardly, 
soldiers run in from all different directions and wonder where they're going and who are they going to fight next. No, there is a base of operations. There, there is a command center that directs the battle. And the soldier carries out the predetermined battle plan. Well, our faith is built upon the work of Jesus Christ. His work of redemption is our base. And that plan of redemption is very carefully revealed in the scriptures. And this is what we stand on. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, watch ye stand fast in the faith. Now, if our feet aren't firmly planted in the faith, if the defensive posture is not set, then you'll be knocked off your feet and trampled by the enemy. Someone as well said, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And unfortunately, when you look at the landscape of Christianity today, when you look over the field of battle, there aren't too many people that are standing for very much. Oh, this is a day of compromise. We're, we're too afraid that we're going to offend people if our stand is too strong. If we're too dogmatic about our doctrines, what we believe, then people will reject that. If we demand holiness in the Christian life, then we look like prudes. If we preach against premarital sex, if we preach against alcohol in an area here where we live that makes millions of gallons of it, well, we're not going to attract anybody. If the church practices discipline and we remove from membership those that live in adultery, then what do we do? Well, we reduce our pool of potential members. When we take our stand against LBGTQ, when we stand against abortion, well, we find ourselves out of the mainstream of this, of these liberal persuasions of this community. So what are we to do? Are we to surrender the morality of Scripture? On what will we stand? Will our base of operations be the same as Satan's? Well, no. Our base of operations is the old tried and true doctrines of God's word. It's the morality of commandments. It's the faith of the gospel for which we are to contend. Now, don't think that the devil doesn't want me to compromise what I preach, what we teach here. Don't think that he doesn't want me to compromise so we can get more members in the church, more members on on the board. Well, we we could have more members of this church if we just gave up our moral standards. We could have more members if we supported the liberal agenda of political parties. We could have more members if we just stopped requiring Baptist baptism. You know, I've talked to some who won't join this church because we still insist on the proper administration of baptism. We could have more people if I announced on a Sunday morning that everyone, doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter your religious affiliation, you are welcome to come in and take communion with us. But because we believe in a closed communion, there are people who won't come to this church. Uh, I had a lady go out one Sunday morning and she said, I'll be back tonight because I see in your bulletin that you're having the Lord's Supper. And I said, well, well, ma'am, I'm sorry, but that's for church members. And she said, you mean that I, I, I must be a member of this church to take communion with you? And I said, yes. And I said, yes, because that's what the scriptures teach. And I'm not going to change what they teach to accommodate anyone. So she said, I won't be back tonight. I won't be back again. Now, you see, she had her own idea of who can and who can't sit at the Lord's table. And her idea was that it really doesn't matter whether you're a part of the church. 
Now, I've explained this many times that our belief in a restricted communion has nothing to do with whether we think that we're better than others. But it does have everything to do with the way that we obey the Lord's commandments. Now, we, we just want to do it the way the disciples were taught to do it. We want to do it according to the directions of the New Testament. Now, membership in the Lord's church, that is important because part of the privileges of membership is the participation in church ordinances. Now, we can't bypass the institution that Christ says that he gave his life for and say, well, that's okay. It really doesn't matter. Now, we love our friends who come to Berean Baptist Church uh, and we invite people to membership because we think membership is important. And we commune with the Savior. We commune with him when we obey his commands. Now, I say that another way. You can't commune with Christ if you don't obey him. Now, there is a base of operations and it's found in God's word. And I don't have the authority to compromise that. I don't have the authority to countermand the captain's orders. Now, today, in most churches, the base of operations is not what God says. Rather, it's a very pragmatic approach. What can we do that will help to fill the seats? And so there are churches that will change what the Bible says to make unbelievers more comfortable. Well, listen, folks, the world will never accept God's ways. We can't make Christians by compromising God's ways. The world is never going to be interested in in doctrinal truth because the natural man hates the things of God. And so he'll be attracted to things that look like him, not those things that look like God. And so when a church begins to put in worldly methods and worldly practices to grow the church, then what you end up with is a worldly church. And that's not standing for anything. That's not having your feet firmly planted on the rock. It's the same as standing on shifting sands. And a soldier who stands there will be swept off his feet. Now, the base of operations is the holy writ. It is the word of God. We don't change that. We don't compromise it. We keep on preaching it. And I promise there are many, many things we could do. We could just drop our historical Baptist doctrine. We could reject the doctrines of grace and we would have loads of fellowship. But if we do, then just remember, we built our church on compromise, not the sure foundation of faith. And so when we decide to compromise any doctrine of God's word, we no longer stand in the sure place. Our feet aren't on solid ground and we will slip and fall. But that's not all. The foundation of faith is the base of operations. And then it is the very basic of obedience. Now, if we examine the Old Testament and we look at what God told Joshua, what he told him is the foundation of every battle he fought and every victory that he won. It was that he did not depart from God's law. You remember what God told Joshua as his first basic instruction. This is in the first chapter of Joshua. Joshua had taken over as the leader of Israel. He says, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now, Joshua didn't have the entire Old Testament. He didn't have the New Testament like we do. He had the first 
five books of the Pentateuch written by Moses. And to him, that was all of God's instructions. And he was to be obedient to everything that was in the law. God said, you don't turn from that. You don't turn to the right hand or to the left. Joshua, you keep right down straight and in the straight and narrow path. You stay right there on that path. And isn't that just a very basic thing to do? We have a Bible that's written by an infallible author. And so we needn't wonder, is there something better on the right hand or on the left? We don't wonder, will we have greater success if we go a different way, if we venture to the right or the left, if we try something different than what we've done? Won't we have better success? You ever been traveling down the highway? There's a sign that says soft shoulder. Now, if you watch a road being built. In the traveled part of the highway, the excavators come, they dig down to solid earth, and then they come back and they put back in dirt and gravel, and they compact that to a density that's greater than the original soil. Then they put down a concrete base that's reinforced with steel rods. Then they put asphalt on top of that. Now, the whole idea is that if you stay on the road, you are safe. There's a firm foundation for your, for your car to travel on. But if you decide that you want to drive on the shoulder and you decide to pull off the roadway, then there's a sign there that warns you, watch out. The shoulders are soft. And if you travel off the highway, you may get stuck. Now, that seems very simple, a very simple principle. Stay on the road and everything will be fine. But they're Christians that don't like the road. They want to drive on the shoulder, but still they think things will be fine. And so they ignore the instructions, they ignore the warnings, they wander off. And then when something happens, they're just dumbfounded. Why did this happen? And sometimes they say, well, it's God's fault. Why, God, did you let this happen to me? Well, you ignored the roadsides, dummy. Did you miss the sign that says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. Now, what the scriptures are talking about is a very basic thing here. It's the basic of obedience. Do what you're told. Don't go off to the right hand. Don't go off to the left and you'll prosper. That's how you stand. This is how you win battles. You get your feet in the right place. You get them on solid ground and you stand fast in the faith. Well, let's go to a different area. Another one. There is the foundation of faith. And then there is the preparation of the feet and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, you might want to underline preparation just as in verse 14. Girding the loins is about preparation. So putting on the shoes of the gospel of peace, that's preparation. If you are to stand, your feet must be prepared with the right shoes. Now, this is another of those places of argument. What does Paul mean in these verses? Now, a moment ago, when I had you, when we were reading in the scriptures uh, in in, uh, Romans chapter 10, we have the idea uh, when when Paul says in Romans six to put on the shoes of the gospel, doesn't that doesn't that something come to your mind? Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Doesn't that immediately draw our attention to Paul's quotation of Isaiah? Now let me read to you the original. What what uh, Isaiah wrote in Isaiah fifty two verse seven. 
This is what Paul roughly quotes in Romans 10:15. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Now some argue this is not what Paul had in mind because this verse has nothing to do with warfare. And they say, well, Paul can't be speaking of preaching the gospel. He's not talking about evangelism because he's dealing with defense. There's nothing defensive in the verse. He's concentrating on standing, not on offensive maneuvers. And I think that is a good argument. But I also wonder, isn't it logical to think offense and Christian warfare would be would we be unbalanced by saying that a soldier of Christ doesn't also go on the offensive? Now, I think that makes sense when talking about soldiers and warfare to consider that we're not just holding territory. We're not just standing over here defending a plot of ground. We want to advance. We want to take more territory. We want to claim more for the kingdom of God. And so I think first, then, there must be readiness for an invasion That is, we need to be ready to invade the devil's territory. Now, here is the plain, simple truth. If we're not moving forward, then we soon find ourselves sliding backwards. Now, sadly, we have an example of this in our church, and it concerns me. Our congregation is getting older. One by one, people die, and we lose some of our soldiers. Some of our soldiers move on, and they go to a different battlefield. And if we don't replace the soldiers, if we don't get reinforcements, then it won't be long until there aren't enough to hold the fort. The world keeps adding more people year after year. And if you didn't know this, let me clue you in on a little secret. They're not born saved. They must be born again. And so while the world keeps adding more and more, and we're not winning more and more to the Lord, if we're not continually adding soldiers, then we're, of course, losing ground. We're going backwards, even though we may do a very good job of standing. See, it's great to have our doctrine. We, we must have our doctrine. We must be uncompromising in our doctrine. But if that doesn't also translate into the obedience of Christ's commission, then we just die with our doctrine intact. Now, why do you think that I'm preaching about the church at Ephesus rather than to the church of Ephesus? Well, we can go back to the back of the Bible to find out. If you would, just turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 2. We look here in the second chapter, and Jesus is there speaking to the church at Ephesus. And what does he warn them? Well, he starts out, you know, this is really good, Revelation 2 verse 1, unto the angel, that is, to the pastor at the church of Ephesus, write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars, that's the seven pastors of the seven churches, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. He walks among those candlesticks are the seven churches. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. And thou how canst that how uh, thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not. And hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience. And for my name's sake has labored and hast not fainted. Now, do you know what verses 2 and 3 tell me? Well, it tells me they had great doctrine in the Ephesian church. They had really good doctrine. 
when someone came in with a false doctrine, the church knew enough to test them by the word of God and reveal that they were false apostles. Now, Paul had warned the Ephesian elders before that grievous wolves come, will come, they'll attack the flock, he says. He some said, there are some that will rise among you. They will speak perverse things and they will draw away disciples after them. Evidently, they'd done a really good job of taking care of that problem because Jesus says, you have tried them and you know they're false teachers. You have good doctrine. You've held out faithful. But he didn't stop there. Notice verse 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Now, he says to them, you're standing on good doctrine. That is commendable. But nevertheless, I have something against you. Therefore, he says, repent and do the first works. What does he mean by that? What are the first works? Well, I'd like you to listen to Albert Barnes' comment on this. He said, let them read the Bible as they did then. Let them pray as they did then. Let them go forth in the duties of active active benevolence as they did then. Let them engage in teaching a Sunday school as they did then. Let them relieve the distressed, instruct the ignorant, raise up the fallen as they did then. Let them open their heart, their purse and their hand to bless a dying world. As it was in this way that they manifested their love then. So this would be better suited than all other things to rekindle the flame of love when it's almost extinguished. Now, that is a comment that's very heavily geared towards evangelism. It's to rekindle love for people and do something, he says, to bless a dying world. And what do we do more to bless a dying world than to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, I can't help but think that when Paul wrote feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I can't help but think that he would mean a soldier must be prepared to make an invasion into enemy territory. When speaking of Christian warfare, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, we've quoted it before, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That is an offensive maneuver. When we pull down strongholds of Satan... We break down all those barriers that keep men and women hemmed in in the darkness of sin. How do we do it? Well, we do it with the gospel of peace. We restore people to peace with God by preaching the gospel. Now, why did Paul say the gospel of peace? Because there is no one at peace with God until they believe. All are enemies of God without the gospel. So I think Paul is teaching us to get ready for an invasion in the enemy territory. Francis Havergal, in one of his hymns, wrote, Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Well, let me quickly conclude with one more observation about preparation. Now, secondly, there must be watchfulness for an attack. Now, I don't know if I preached any of these sermons on Christian warfare that I didn't mention this, this watchfulness that we must have, the watchfulness for the attacks of Satan. And we must keep repeating that 
Because Satan comes from directions you least expect. Now, it's said that Alexander the Great was the first to recognize the need of good footwear for his soldiers. Now, before Alexander, soldiers were plodding. They lumbered along as they marched and fought. But Alexander desired a swift, moving, fighting force. He wanted to move quickly in his attacks. He wanted to outmaneuver the enemy. And he couldn't do that with the customary type of footwear. And so Alexander designed a sandal that was strong enough to withstand rigorous marching. And yet it was light enough and flexible enough to allow a soldier to move quickly. Well, the Roman army copied that design from Alexander. And, and here's a good thought for you. I've already said a soldier can't get to the battlefield if he can't walk. Now, ancient armies had a, had a battle tactic to stop the march of the enemy before they could get to the battle. Before the battle could ever start, they had an attack before there was an attack. And what they would do is they would sharpen sticks and they would put them in the ground ahead of the advancing army. Those sticks would point backwards towards towards the advancing army. Now, as the soldiers approached this ancient form of a minefield, they would step on these spikes and the tip would be driven up through the soles of the shoes and it would pierce their feet and take them down. Now, the Roman army knew those tactics. They used them themselves. And so they changed their footwear. They they wore the right shoes accordingly. So what they did was they thickened the soles of their shoes. They put metal on them with hobnails and they tied shoes tightly around their legs. And this was so the spikes couldn't penetrate the soles. And then they had the extra advantage that their feet were stable as they walked on the rough roads and pathways in those days. Now, you see, the point is. And no pun intended there. But the point is to disable the soldier. That That's why they had those pointed sticks. And if you can do it in his feet, it's just as good if you did it as if you did it to his heart. Either way, a soldier can't fight. So the shoes were important. They had to be sufficiently strong to avoid the penetrating stick. Well, here's the thing for the Christian soldier. When our feet are not shod... With the preparation of the gospel of peace, we very quickly lose our zeal. We, we, we're not knocked down by Satan tempting us into gross sin. And that might not be your problem at all. Uh, you, you may not be tempted to go into some gross sin and abandon the church. He hasn't ruined our testimony by causing us to commit adultery or by stealing But he has been just as effective at stopping us because he took our zeal away, took away the desire to reach people. And so he wins by default. The attrition of our kingdom can't keep up with the additions in Satan's kingdom. Now, just as I said a moment ago, if we're not advancing, if we're not invading enemy territory, then we lose ground simply by attrition. Now, attrition can be defined as a policy of decruitment by not recruiting following following voluntary resignation or retirement. And so when old soldiers die without new recruitment, the army dies. And Satan is just as effective by decruitment as he is by 
slinging a fiery dart of opposition. Now, when the scripture says, watch out for the devil's attacks, it means everywhere. It means in every conceivable fashion. And this is one of them. If he doesn't hit you in your heart, he's content if he can take you out at your feet. Why should we have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Well, it's because every enemy of the cross is a potential friend of the cross. We're not recruiting people that are neutral in this fight. We're not recruiting them. Jesus said, if you're not with me, you are against me. So everybody is either fighting for the kingdom of darkness or for the kingdom of light. They're either fighting for evil or fighting for good. There is no spiritual Swiss kingdom. Everybody's on one side or the other. And so all of our recruits, every one of them, comes from the kingdom of darkness. And they are transformed by the gospel into the kingdom of light. Satan knows that. And so he will do everything he can to stop the gospel from invading his territory. Now, the gospel of Christ removes that enmity between the sinner and makes him at peace with God. Sinners resist that. There's no doubt. They resist it. It's very difficult to win them. Fighting soul for souls. Fighting, fighting for souls and witnessing to people. That's hard work. But when you understand that the gospel is the only hope, the only hope for your family and friends, then you very quickly learn this is a fight you don't want to avoid. You want to be in the middle of this fight So you put the shoes of the gospel on your feet. You make them swift and beautiful for Christ. Stand on the promises of God's word. And then you will be victorious in the fight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you again today. Thanking you for your word. Thanking you for what it teaches us. How it shows us the way to stand, the way to be successful in our Christian lives, the way to fight off the attacks of Satan. It always comes down to the very same concepts, time after time after time. Faithfulness to your word, obedience to your word, keeping your commandments, being faithful to our duty. Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we would recognize the importance of the duty of the gospel The duty of feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace so we might invade enemy territory and that we might win people to Christ, replenish our army. And though we do hate to see old soldiers die, uh, they they their time comes. They must be promoted to the glories of heaven. And we're thankful for that. But at the same time, we lose our soldiers And so we've got to we've got to keep recruiting. And we pray, Lord, you lay it upon our hearts to be sincere about this, to replace those soldiers in Berean Baptist Church. Lord, we think about this time that we're going through. And as we said in the beginning of message, our our faith fails, uh, our strength wanes because there is just so much going on, so many factors that are against us. And we can't fight this battle because we don't have supernatural abilities They come from you, not on our own. We don't have them. Lord, help us to depend on you each and every day. So we we pray that you'll bring us back into church. This is, again, where we get our strength to fight this Christian warfare. 
Uh, we've gained our strength from hearing the word of God. And we do pray that people will hear this word that's been preached today. And we pray that uh, people in our church will take this word, give it to others so they may know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for all those blessings that you give. Keep us faithful to you and help us, Lord, that we'll get back into church very soon where we can fellowship with one another, strengthen one another, and go out from here preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your precious blood, the blood of the Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now I want to give you a final word of benediction. And this comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1. In Colossians, chapter 1. And here uh, we'll look at verse number 19. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Of course, we're speaking about Jesus Christ. And having made peace... Through the blood of his Christ and this, uh, through his cross, this, this is the peace that we've been talking about. Having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's the devil's kingdom. Those in the in the kingdom of darkness. You and I, we were once there. We were alienated. We were enemies in our minds by wicked works. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Fighting a battle. Let's stay in that battle. Let's recruit new people to fight the battle with us. Well, God go with you. Be safe in all that you do. And we'll see you in the next sermon. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.brianbaptist.org.